All right, if you would, keep your Bibles open there to Ephesians chapter 2, please. I really appreciate so much Pastor Rick. He has so many good qualities about him. And one quality I know that I'm grateful for uh, is that he's faithful. He's been working in the ministry for many years, and he's always, you can count on him, he's always dependable. In fact, if you look up the definition of the word faithful in in the dictionary, you'll find his picture there. (laughs) Because truly, he's a faithful man. But he has another gift or ability that uh, many of you don't realize, that Pastor Rick makes clocks. And if you've been in his office, you'll see several examples of that. If you've been in his home, he's got many of that. The work of the clock is called fret work. And it's beautiful, just amazing what he can do. In fact, he usually enters a clock, maybe one, maybe several, in the Florida State Fair every year. He gets many blue ribbons, sometimes best to show. But they're just beautiful clocks called fretwork. In fact, when you look at the work of the clock, you can say that's Pastor Rick's workmanship. But today I'd like to talk about God's workmanship. When you look at a saved sinner and the life that God has changed in him, I find you looking at God's workmanship. So if you would please look here in Ephesians chapter 2, a very familiar verse to most of us at First Baptist Church. Verse 8 and 9, I'd like to begin, that tells us how a person is saved. Verse 10 tells us why a person is saved. Now many of you know this, but <clears throat> this wonderful verse. I remember when I first saw this verse, my eyes bugged out on stems. Because I always heard from so many people that to go to heaven, you have to be good. That good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. And if you're going to make it, it's because of your works, your conduct, your behavior, the things you do in life. That's what will get you to heaven. That's what man thinks. But it's opposite of what God says. And notice in verse 8 here, it says, for by what? Grace. Are you saved through faith? Grace is God's favor. But it's unmerited favor. It's favor God bestows upon someone who deserves just the opposite. You know, if we got what we deserve, we'd all go to hell because we're all sinners. But because of God's grace, we can go to heaven. And it's for by grace you're saved through faith. The word faith means dependence, trust in what Christ did for us. And goes on to say, the salvation is not of yourself. The salvation is a gift from God. In verse 9, it says, not of what? Works, lest any man should boast. That's why my eyes bugged out. Because I always heard it was of works. Yet the Bible says salvation is not of works. It's not of yourself. Anything you do yourself, it is a gift from God. And it's not of works. Now, verse 10, notice what it says. Verse 10 says, for we, those of us that are saved, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Notice, verse 9 says we're saved not by works, but verse 10 says you're saved unto good works. You don't do good works to get saved. You get saved so you can do good works. Good works should follow salvation. It's not a prerequisite for, but the Bible says everyone who's saved should do good works. In fact, God is before ordained. Before the foundation of the world, God ordained that those people that are saved ought to walk in good works. But I like to focus on the phrase there that we are his workmanship. In fact, listen carefully, please. This whole issue of what we call eternal security Eternal security teaches that once a man saved, he is saved forever. You cannot lose your salvation. 
Many people disagree on that. But the whole issue of eternal security is based upon this. Is salvation the work of man or salvation the work of God? The Bible clearly tells us that salvation is God's work. For we are what? His workmanship. My salvation is the work of God, not the work of me. In fact, a verse to be on the screen, Ecclesiastes 3.14 says this about God. He says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, and God doeth it, that men should fear before him. What a good verse describing us about salvation. Salvation is God's work. My friend, and whatsoever God does, it shall be what? Forever. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. God does it that men may fear. So we're going to look at today God's workmanship. And that is man, salvation of man. When you look at the salvation of a sinner, my friend, that's God's workmanship. Look with me, please. Keep your finger in Ephesians. Go now to Philippians chapter 1, please. Philippians chapter 1. Now, today we're going to be turning to a lot of Bible verses together. And I hope you have a Bible. If you don't have one, please borrow one from the, uh, the seat in front of you. There's either a hymnal or a Bible there. I'll be giving the page numbers to the verses we go to. Philippians chapter 1. Again, we're talking about God's workmanship. The salvation of a, uh, of a sinner. Philippians 1 verse 6. Here's something Paul was confident about, something he was assured. And this is what he says here in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, please. It says, being confident, that means thoroughly convinced of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Notice it refers to salvation as a good work. It's not only God's work, it's a good work. And this verse talks about three things about the work of God. It has a beginning, it continues in the present, and has an ending. It said, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Christ. Your salvation had a beginning. When you trusted Christ as Savior, God began to work. But he is now presently still working, and one day the work will be complete. So next week, we're going to talk about the present work of salvation, and the two weeks later, we're going to talk about the finished work of salvation. But my friend, we're going to begin today talking about God's present work. He which hath begun a good work in you. This work of God is our salvation. It began the moment you were saved. And it starts with the Holy Spirit indwelling you. The Holy Spirit indwelling When you were saved, at that very moment, the Spirit of God indwelt you. Your body become God's temple. God's dwelling, dwelling place. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Know ye not that ye, speaking to believers, ye are the temple, means dwelling place of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth where? In you. So when you were saved, the Spirit of God came in and took up permanent residence. Your body become his temple. 1 Corinthians 6.19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. And so that's where the work began. When you believed in Christ, the Spirit of God indwelt you. At that moment, you were born again. You experienced what the Bible talks about, a new birth. Let me ask you, have you been born again? Now, you've all been born once, the fact that you're here. Have you ever been born again? 
Jesus spoke to a Pharisee in John chapter 3. Do not turn there. A Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And, it, and Jesus said to him, he said, Nicodemus, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot go to heaven unless you've been born twice. We've all been born once. I was born the first time, September 15th, 1953. Now, if you're trying to figure it out, I'll be 69 in a couple of months. <laughs> but I was born the second time when I was an eight-year-old boy. I understood the gospel and trusted Christ. I have a physical birth. I have a spiritual birth. And when it says born again, the word again means from above. I received physical life from my earthly parents. I received eternal life from my heavenly father in heaven. We were born again. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. In other words, when a man and woman come together, my father and mother come together, the seed of the father was placed in the womb and the mother. When it can connect with the egg, life was produced. I believe life begins in conception. I'm glad the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. Now, outlaw, uh, and at least the sense from them that uh, it's not, uh, they've voted against that decision of uh, abortion. But anyway, when, I, when my mother and father come together and I was conceived, I was born the first time. That seed was a corruptible seed. When the seed of my father was placed in my mother, that seed was corruptible. It means subject to death. So the life that I have physically one day will die because it's made of corruptible seed. But the Bible says being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. What is the seed placed in the heart of man when connected with faith produces life? It's the word of God. You ever heard of the parable of the sower? So sowed the seed, it fell in the hearts of men. But basically, that is an incorruptible seed by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So my first birth brought physical life that's temporary. My second birth brought eternal life, which is eternal. Spiritual life, which lasts forever. This birth is a very creation of God. It's what God does in the... A sinner who believes in Christ as Savior. It says, for we are his workmanship, what's it say? Created in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, many of you know this verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The word creature means new creation. Galatians 6, 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So basically, I'm going to repeat myself so you don't forget this. Someone told me in the early service, this message is like taking a drink out of a fire hydrant. So please listen. <laughs> We're going to cover a lot. When you understood the gospel and trusted Christ as Savior, the Bible says you were born again. You were born from above. This birth is a very creation of God in you. It's uh, something he did in you when you were saved. In fact, it's a creation of God's nature. God placed in you his nature through the new birth. Do not turn there, but 2 Peter chapter 1, it says in verse 4, it says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of a divine nature. Now listen, please. 
When I was born the first time, I inherited a nature from my physical dad. It's called a sinful nature. But when I was born the second time, I inherited a divine nature, a nature from God, a nature from my physical dad, a nature from my spiritual father. And so through this new birth, God imparted to you. In fact, you became partakers of God's nature. And this allows you to live victorious over sin in your life. It began when you trusted Christ. Now, please listen. This new nature did not take away the old nature, did not change it, did not make it a bit better. So every believer, because he have two births, have two natures. The physical birth brought a sinful nature. The spiritual birth brought a divine nature. And both strive to control your life. But with this birth that you receive through trust in Christ as Savior, God gave you four things. I want you to write them down. Through the new birth, we are given four things. The first thing is a new life. A new life. Go with me now to Ephesians chapter 2, please. Ephesians 2, page 1645. Now, when you find that, look here, please. Many people associate salvation with excitement or being thrilled. It ought to be a part of it. But sometimes they imply that if you're not really excited when you get saved, it means you never got saved. I've seen all kind of different emotional experiences in salvation. I've led people to Christ, and they cry. I've led people to Christ, and they get excited and shout. I've led other people to Christ, and they, and they show no emotion at all. So, but I have found in my personal experience, the excitement and joy of my salvation didn't happen when I got saved. It happened when I realized what happened to me when I got saved. And I want to share with you, in fact, preparing this message, I, I was overwhelmed with joy about God's wonderful salvation. The things he gave me when I trusted Christ. He gave to you. If you're saved, you have these four things. The first one, <clears throat> excuse me, is a new life. A new life. Notice prior to salvation, before you were saved, you and I were spiritually dead. We were spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, 5, please. It says, even when we were what? Dead in sins hath he quickened us together with Christ. So prior to salvation, you were spiritually dead. Colossians 2.13, And you, being dead in your sins, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. So prior to salvation, because we're born in Adam, we are spiritually dead. But when you got saved, you're given new life. You're given new life. It says there in Ephesians 2, 5 again, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. The word quicken means made alive. You were given new life. What kind of life were you given? Eternal life. When you trusted Christ as Savior, you were given life that lasts forever. I received, again, temporary life from Carl and Violet Peterson. But I received eternal life when I was born of God. Go with me now to John chapter 5, please. John chapter 5, page 1492. John chapter 5. Here it talks about this death unto life. John 5, 24, please. 
Thank you for turning with me. I hear the, paces, the page is ruffling. That's exciting to me. I want you to see what I'm talking about is not my opinion, not something I made up, but exactly what God's word teaches about his wonderful salvation. In John 5, 24, Jesus was speaking here. Notice what he said. He said, verily, verily, I mean, truthfully, truthfully, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath what? Everlasting life. The word hath means possesses right now. The moment you're saved, God gives you everlasting life. Read on. And shall not come into condemnation, but notice carefully, but is passed from what? Death unto life. When you trusted Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God indwelt you, you were born again. At that moment, God gave you everlasting life. And he promised that you shall never come in condemnation, but you are passed from death unto life. My friend, have you ever led a person to Christ and they pray to receive Christ? At that very moment, right before your eyes, they're passed from death unto life. Spiritual death, dead and trespasses and sin, now eternal life in Christ. That happened to you the moment you were saved. So you received eternal life. In fact, it says in 1 John 3, 14, For we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. There are certain evidences of this in your life. But basically, when you were saved, when you were born again by God's Spirit, First time God gave you, he gave you new life, eternal life. Number two, the second thing you were given is a new relationship. A new relationship. Before salvation, the Bible says that we were children of the devil. We're a child of the devil. Go with me now to John. You still on John there? John chapter 8, this time please. John 8, page 1500. Salvation brought new life, but also it brought a new relationship. Because before you were saved, your father, spiritually speaking, was Satan. And notice here, Jesus speaks to the religious rulers. You can be religious, but lost. These were the Pharisees of his day, the Bible teachers of his time, who never received Christ as Savior, so would never be born again. But John 8, 44, look what he said to these lost men. He says, ye are of your father the what? The devil. And the lust of your father ye would do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he's a liar and the father of it. But he refers to something that's true of all unbelievers. Prior to salvation, spiritually speaking, your father was Satan of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. And this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither is he that loveth uh, not his brother. So basically, everyone who's not saved, my friend, they are dead in trespasses of sin, and the Bible says their spiritual father is Satan. But when you are saved, you pass from death unto life, from being a child of the devil to now being a child of God. When we believe in Christ, we become a child of God. Look with me in Galatians, please. Galatians. 
I know you said, Pastor, I just found the last verse. <laughs> and we're turning again. So please turn. This will be page 1640. There's a common, as you turn, there's a common perception today that you hear quite often that man's philosophy today, that when he looks at mankind, they say, we're all God's children. That is not true. The Bible says we're all God's creation. But you're not a child of God unless you're born of God. And you're born of God by faith in Christ. In fact, it teaches that here in Galatians 3.26. Page 1640, Galatians 3.26. He says, ye are all the children of God by what? Faith in Christ Jesus. So again, when you understood the gospel and you trusted Christ as Savior, you were born again, you were moved from being a child of the devil to now being a child of God. John 1.12 says this, But to as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And so you, when you were saved, number one, you were given new life. You actually passed from death unto life. Also, you were given a new relationship, whereby you were a child of the devil, now you're a child of the living God. Number three, the third thing we're given. Again, as I was preparing this message, I really started getting excited. I, I have more joy about my salvation today than I ever had before. And it's understanding these truths. And when I got saved, you know, boy, at that time, I was lost, dead in sin, and I got new life from Christ. I was a child of the devil, and I become a child of God. And the third thing God gave me was a new standing. Not only a new life, not only a new relationship, but a new standing. A new standing. If you would please go now to the book of Psalms. Psalm 14. Here it talks about our spiritual standing before we were saved. We're talking about what changed here. Psalm 14, page 831. Some of, some of the, my messages that I share with you come to me while I'm mowing my lawn. Uh, <laughs> I, I usually take advantage of that and begin to think and Yesterday, I was mow, no, it was the day before yesterday, I was mowing Milan, and I wanted to shout. I, 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 but I didn't shout because my wife made me think I fell off and got run over. <laughs> but I wanted to shout because I began to realize how wonderful these truths are, how wonderful our salvation is. It is worth something to shout about. And though I didn't do it when I got saved, but I understood what happened to him when I got saved. That's when I began to shout, began to get excited. Notice our standing before salvation. Before salvation, the Bible says we were filthy, unrighteous before God. We were filthy and unrighteous before God. Psalm 14, verse 2, please. It said, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if any were any that did understand and seek God. Verse 3, they, those he looked upon, they all are, they are all gone aside. They are altogether 
filthy, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. In other words, prior to salvation, my standing before God, I was a filthy, unrighteous sinner. That's true of all of us. In fact, Paul quoted this verse. Let me read it to you. He quoted this verse from Psalm 14 in Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, referring to Psalm 14, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. My friend, that's your standing prior to salvation. In fact, it's described in Isaiah 64. He says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rag. Look at me, please. What are you saying here? Prior to salvation, you at your very best, your righteousness in the sight of God was filthy rags. You know, it's sad today. So many people are looking to their filthy rags as a means to get to heaven. They think that it's the righteousness that I do, the good things I do is going to get me to heaven. And from the side of a holy God, you and I at our very best, it didn't say our sins is filthy rags. It says our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That me at my very best, though I call, call it wonderful things I do, God said it is filth, it is unrighteous, it is unclean before God. In fact, the word filthy rags there is used two other ways in Scripture. It's used in Scripture as menstrual rags. It's also used as grave clothes. Interesting. Back in the Bible days, they did it to uh, Lazarus, they did it to Christ. When a person died, they'd wrap them up with cloth, and then they would soak the cloth with strong-smelling perfumes because people want to come and view the, the deceased. But after a while, that body, after it died, begins to decay. And after four days, remember what they said about Lazarus? Lord, he what? He stinketh. Have you ever been driving down the road, though you didn't see it? You realize it's a dead animal. Oh, what is that? Odor. My goodness. It decays. So what happens when a body dies and they wrap it up with this cloth? I don't mean to be gross here, but the juices of the decayed body saturates that cloth. And that is what the Bible calls filthy rags. So before you were saved, you at your very best was like those gray clothes, smelly, stinking, filthy rags. That was your standing. That was my standing prior to salvation. But hallelujah, when I got saved, God gave me a new standing. God in God's sight, now I'm as righteous as he is. Look with me, you will please, in Romans chapter 3. When we put our faith in Christ, we are declared righteous. That is the biblical word of justification. We're declared righteous before God. Someone took the word justified and made an acronym. They say it means just if I'd never sinned. But you know, it's much, much more than that. I'm not just if I never sinned. God imputed to me his righteousness in the sight of a holy God. When a sinner puts his trust in Christ, he can stand before God just if he never sinned, but as righteous as God is. Romans 3.21, please. Romans 3.21, page 1584. Look what it says here. Now the righteousness of who? Of God, without the law is manifested, 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets, verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by what? By faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that what? Believe. Now listen, please. What happens prior to salvation, our standing was filthy, unrighteous, unclean before God. And no way we could enter his presence. But when you understood the gospel and you trusted Christ, you were born again. And through that new birth, God gave you not only a new life, not only a new relationship. He gave you a new standing whereby you were filthy, unrighteous for God. Now you are as righteous as he is. Isn't that great? Look at he said, in fact, look in Romans 4, please. Romans 4, verse 5. Romans 4, verse 5. It says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly. Underline this, please. His faith is counted for righteousness. This is nothing new. It's not a New Testament truth only. It's also in the Old Testament. Look in verse 6. Even as David, the Old Testament David, the one who killed Goliath, who became the king of Israel, also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth what? Righteousness without works. Again, over and over again, your works, your merit, your behavior had nothing to do with this. To him that does not work but believes. And David said, blessed is the man in whom God gives righteousness without works. So basically, whereby in God's sight, I had a standing of filthy unrighteous, unclean. But now when I trust in Christ being born again, I have a new standing of the righteousness of God imputed to me. Number four. Number four. We're given new life, a new relationship, a new standing, and number four, a new position. A new position. If you would please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, please, page 1620. Again, a truth I want you to understand. 1 Corinthians 15. Here it talks about two positions, the position of an unsaved and the position of a believer, one who is saved. And first. Corinthians 15, verse 22. Before salvation, the Bible says, we, positionally speaking, were in Adam. It said, verse 22, for as in Adam all, what? Die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. In other words, when you were born the first time, you were born in Adam. Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, as by one man, talking about Adam, sin entered into the world, death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So I was born physically in Adam, but I was born again now a new position of being in Christ. For in Adam, all die, but in Christ shall all be made alive. So a new position before salvation, we were in Adam. When we believe, our spiritual position changes. Now we are in Christ. For as in Adam, all die. 
even so in Christ shall we all be made alive. If you would please now, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're just about done here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here it talks about this new position, 2 Corinthians 5. When you find that, look here, please. I know I've covered a lot, and it's hard to uh, grasp it all, but hoping you've taken notes and writing it down and go back over it. Look up here again, please. We're talking about God's workmanship. We're talking about the work of God in the life of the believer. When you trust that Christ as Savior, the Bible says you become God's workmanship. You were born again by the Spirit of God. That new birth was God's creation. For it says we're all God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus. It, it, God created his nature in you. At that moment, God gave you four things. He gave you new life in Christ. He gave you a new relationship to God. He gave you a new standing, but also a new position. That changed from the position of being in Adam, where all die, now in Christ shall be made alive. Look what it says here in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if any man beware... That's that new position. He's speaking to believers. When you trust Christ, you've been moved from in Adam to in Christ. Therefore, any man be in Christ, he's a new what? A new creature means a new creation. But read on. It says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become what? That's the question. What are the old things that passed away? What are the new things that all become new? And now he's comparing the two positions of being in Adam or in Christ. Therefore, any man being Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. Now look on the screen there, please. Let me let you see the difference. You have two positions. You have in Adam and in Christ. You're talking about the old things that passed away that are in Adam. You're talking about the new things in Christ that all become new. Look at the difference. In Adam, we're dead in sin. In Christ, we're quickened together with Christ, made alive in Christ. In Adam, you shall not see life, but in Christ you have everlasting life. In Adam, you're a child of the devil. In Christ, you're a child of God. In Adam, you're sinners before God. In Christ, you're righteous before God. In Adam, you're condemned. In Christ, you're not condemned. In Adam, you shall utterly perish. In Christ, you shall never perish. In Adam, you're spiritually blind. In Christ, you're able to see. In Adam, you're aliens and strangers of the commonwealth of Israel. In Christ, you're fellow citizens of the household of God. In Adam, you're under the curse of the law. In Christ, you're redeemed from the curse of the law. Can someone say amen? Amen. Listen to me, please. All that changed instantly the moment you were saved. This is not a process. It happened to you the moment you trusted Christ as Savior. Isn't that great? My friend, that's God's wonderful salvation. That's salvation you began. Next week, we're going to talk about part two of this, part three of the whole message. We're talking about God's work continues. He which hath begun a good work in you shall what? Perform it. My friend, God isn't finished. He's not done with you yet. Yet he's still working. But when that, two weeks from today, we're talking about when it's finished. He, has, he which has begun and work in you will perform until the day of Christ. 
So please be with us next week, and uh, we'll talk about this work continues. One more verse, and we'll close. Go with me now to John chapter 3, please. John chapter 3, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 3, a verse I quoted earlier. John chapter 3. In this verse, there's a conversation between a lost man and Jesus Christ. The lost man was very religious. In fact, he was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a religious ruler of Christ's day. I read somewhere that if be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. This man knew the Bible. He knew the Old Testament. He was religious but lost. His name was Nicodemus. Look what it says, you would please, in John chapter 3, look in verse 1. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler, a spiritual ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, it means teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that, that thou doest except God be with him. No doubt Nicodemus was watching the life of Christ. He saw all the miracles he performed. He saw all the things he did that was wonderful. And he come to the conclusion, God must be with him. But notice in verse 3, Jesus gets right to the point. Jesus answered unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born, what? Again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now listen, please. Nicodemus understood what he was saying, the necessity of another birth. But being a lost man, he thought he was talking about another physical birth. He said you must be born again. He thought it was another physical birth. Read the next verse, verse 4. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be what? So Nicodemus was an old man. He understood the truth. He needed to be born again. But he thought he was talking about another physical birth. He said, Listen, I'm an old man. Do I have to go back to my mother's womb and be born again? Now, read the next verse. Here the Lord clarifies it. In verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What does it mean to be born of water? What does it mean to be born of the Spirit? Now, remember, Nicodemus understood the necessity of another birth but he thought he meant another physical birth. Being born of water refers to the physical birth. Being born of the Spirit means this, uh, the spiritual birth. In fact, he clarifies the next verse. He said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. When you're born the first time, you're in your mother's womb in the embryonic sac full of water. In fact, when we, many times when women ready to deliver the baby, they say her water broke. That, and talking about the first birth. So the first birth is being born of water. The second birth is being born of the Spirit. Now, here's the question. Jesus said, except a man be born of the Spirit, he cannot. didn't say might not. didn't say chances are not. He cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever been born again? How many birthdays do you have? Hopefully, you can say, I got two. <laughs> I have a physical and a spiritual but without the spiritual, without second birth, you can't go to heaven. Close your Bibles now, please. 
So let's wrap it up and let me quickly review and we'll be done. Thank you for your patience. We're talking about God's workmanship. That when you see the changed life of a lost sinner, what God does through salvation, you're saying there's God's workmanship. That's what God did. God's workmanship began with the new birth. When it began with the Holy Spirit indwelling you, when the Holy Spirit indwelt you, he created a new birth. He gave you his very nature. And when you were born again, he gave you four things. New life, new relationship, a new standing, and a new position. And all that happened the moment you trusted Christ. But it all begins with that new birth. So let me conclude with this. Again, ask you, have you ever been born again? You can be religious. You can know the Bible. You can go to church, live a good life. But I didn't ask you to live a good life. I didn't ask you, do you know the Bible? I didn't ask you, do you go to church? I asked you, have you ever been born from above? How can I be born from above? By receiving Christ as your Savior. When you realize that you're a sinner, that you owe a penalty for your sin, and you cannot save yourself, but you understand from the Bible that Christ came to save you from your sin. And when you, by faith, make a decision to receive him as your Savior, at that very moment, you are born into God's family. And I did a whole message on that and hope that you understand that. But if you haven't been born again, my friend, you can today. Right now, you can experience that new birth if you receive Christ to be your Savior. Let's bow together, please. As their heads are bowed and eyes are closed, probably to most of you, you have been born again. You know that. You've experienced that new birth in Christ. You have eternal life because of that. But if you're not certain about it, my friend, that is something you need to be assured of because it makes a difference between heaven and hell for you. If you never have been born again, why not get it settled right now? Why not talk to God and make that decision sure here today? You can put your trust, your dependence upon Christ as one who died for you to take you to heaven. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I've been born again. I don't know that I have, I'm a part of God's family, but I like to have that assurance to know that for certain. If that's your, you here today, why not pray this prayer with me? It is not the prayer that saves you. It's your faith in Christ that saves you. But your prayer is the means by which you push your trust in Christ to save you. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, why not talk to God in your own thoughts and maybe say something like this. Just say, Dear God of heaven, I acknowledge and admit that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I deserve, I earn your punishment. But God, I believe that when Jesus died, he was punished in my place. The judgment that I've earned, that I deserve, Jesus took upon himself. And there on the cross, he suffered, and I believe he bled and died for my sins and was buried, and I believe he rose again. And right here today, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, did you pray that prayer? Did you just trust Christ to be your Savior? If you did, my friend, according to the Bible, right now, you have been born again. 
God's your father, you're now his child. That is a truth the Bible clearly teaches we saw today. And if you've been born again, heaven is now your home. You've been forgiven of all your sin, and you have eternal life. I'd like to know if anyone did that today. Well, as a, something to rejoice about, but I'd like to rejoice with you. So if you made that decision for the first time, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, so I can pray for you. No one look around. Would you simply raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? Anyone at all? I'm not going to have you forward to point you out, but I'd like to pray for you. If that made sense to you and you prayed to receive Christ as Savior, just lift your hand up so I can pray for you. Anyone at all? Pastor, here's my hand. I understood that. I've trusted Christ to be my Savior. Anyone at all? Dear Father, since someone raised their hand, I hope that means each one here has trusted Christ. Raise your hand doesn't mean they're saved. It just indicates to me that they are saved. But maybe someone did that did not raise their hand for whatever the reason is. Hope they understand clearly from the Bible, heaven's now their home. Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in the salvation. God's wonderful salvation gives us so much to be excited about and find joy in. And I pray your blessing upon each one here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.